0: Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, grab that pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you and you find our passage on page 448. Page 448. And we're in a series that we've entitled Relationships. And uh, it's a series a little different than we normally do. But a series we want to focus in on uh, really understanding the connections that we have uh, not only with our God, but with ourselves, with others, um, and uh, what we're learning in this series is that we have a lot more relationships than we would ever imagine, relationships with total strangers, uh, even to the uh, very deepest of relationships that we have, uh, whether with husbands or wives or with our our children, and we've learned that relationships are part of the very fabric of creation, of how God has created us, that we are modeling What we see uh, lived out in the Trinity, where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate with one another uh, in perfection. And God has created us for relationship, uh, to uh, relate to one another, to really be a part of uh, relationships that complete us, that make us uh, have an ability to live life, if you will, a little uh, more beautiful than living it on our own. And here's the problem. Our relationships are marred by sin. Just like sin mars everything in our lives, what is supposed to be a blessing, what's supposed to be uh, something that brings great completion to our lives, is something that brings great trouble, discouragement, uh, disappointment, and even at times great destruction to our lives. And the Bible doesn't leave us there and say, you know what, you could have had great relationships, you could have had wonderful relationships, you could have had deep relationships, but you blew it and you're on your own. The Bible is filled with reminders and truths and wisdom and stories about how we can have better relationships. The Bible is chronicled uh, full of stories about relationships, of relationships that gone bad, um, bad marriages, bad f- uh, parent relationships with their kids, uh, bad relationships with oneself and relationships with God. And the Bible not only shows bad examples, but they also show good examples, good examples of of how marriages ought to be and how relationships with our kids are to be. And then the Bible reminds us, whether it's through wisdom uh, or through principles or through the teachings of Jesus Christ or the apostles, we are reminded of what our relationships are are to look like. But this morning, not dealing with any per se of the temporal or earthly relationships that we have, my assignment is to talk about the very mo- the most important, uh, relationship, and that is our relationship with God. Our relationship with the Almighty. Our relationship with the One who created us. And here's the thing that we need to recognize this morning. That relationship is the most important relationship that you and I will have in this life. Our marriages aren't more important. Our kids are not as important. Our workplace relationships aren't as important. Our relationship with our neighbors isn't as important. The number one relationship that each and every one of us should have is a vibrant and healthy relationship with Jesus. And here's why. Because where our relationship goes with God, so goes every other relationship. Like the hub in the center of a tire that has spokes going from it, as we go in our relationship with God, so goes our relationship with others. And so the question we have to ask this morning isn't, why is my relationship with my uh, wife not very good? It must be her problem or it must be my problem. What we have to ask is the reason maybe I don't have a good marriage is because I don't have a good relationship with God. Maybe one of the reasons why I don't have a good relationship with my kids or my parents is because I'm not walking in fellowship with my God. Maybe the reason why I struggle in the workplace or struggle in the neighborhood with the relationships isn't because I've got jerky bosses or unfriendly neighbors living around me, but maybe it's my relationship with God. You see, so, as your relationship with God goes, so goes every other relationship. And so it is imperative that we find Scripture that helps us to grow that relationship with God so that we can have healthy and vibrant relationships with all others. To do so, I want to look at uh, the book of Psalms this morning, the first book, because it's imperative that we understand what our relationship with God should look like and how we get to a healthy relationship with Him. So let's look to Psalm 1 this morning, and let's break down just verse by verse what this psalm has to say. It's a short psalm, but it sets the direction for the entire book of Psalms in the way that we should go. Here's what it says, blessed is the man that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we just ask that you would teach us what it means to be in a deep and intimate relationship with you. Father, I pray that as we draw closer to you it will enable us to draw closer to those around us. That we might serve as a blessing to those we interact with. Lord, in our marriages, in our families, whether at work or play, that people who interact with us would walk away in, during their times with us being encouraged, being lifted up, and, and uh, Lord, uh, served and honored in a way that would honor You. Lord, I pray that people would would see it as a blessing to have us in their lives. But to be able to do that, Lord, we must see it as a blessing to have you in our life. And so, Lord, for many of us, we profess and confess a, a uh, relationship with you. But, Lord, this passage is going to challenge that relationship a bit. It's going to ask the hard questions on whether we really are engaged and experiencing the relationship that you long for us to have. I thank you for Jesus, the one who went to the cross and died so that we might have a relationship with you, that we no longer had to be out of fellowship because of our sin. Thank you for Jesus who gave his life up so that we might experience the blessing and the joy and the peace and contentment that comes because of our walk with you. We love you and give you the praise and glory for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This last week, I was doing my daily routine of, of going to an app that I have on my phone called Flipboard, and it's an app where I can look at all numerous uh, articles from all different periodicals, and one caught my eye as I was totally remembering what I was preaching this Sunday. And the article was from Inc. Magazine, Incorporated Magazine, a periodical for the uh, executive in the business world, and, and it said the following... Five Surprising Secrets of Happiness. Now, I don't know about you, but I surely would love to be happy all the time. And if there's secrets that I'm missing to a happy life, I, I want to make sure that I know what those secrets are and that I'm living them out. And so it caught my eye. I wanted to find out what the author said. And the article started out, started out really great. It said the following, Finding happiness is without a doubt a daily struggle. We search for it endlessly. Through self-help books, TV shows, ice cream, Sundays, I like that one, or deep conversations with friends. The true key to unlocking happiness, however, is much closer than you would think. And he says, consider these five surprising secrets to true happiness and how you can access them yourself. I said, all right. I want to know these I want to be aware of these things and so the author continued to go on giving the five secrets number one he says don't compare yourself let's look at what he says there's nothing worse in the world than pitting yourself your own accomplishments against those of someone else as the old saying goes the grass is always greener on the other side so don't make assumptions about your own work or talent in the light of others if you have done something great something you're proud of remain proud everything is relative It's imperative to your happiness That you remember that all right number two listen to your inner voice although the thoughts and opinions of others echo loudly in our everyday lives it's important to recognize that there's nothing as important as your own voice know yourself trust yourself and don't ever be afraid be afraid to now here's the problem anytime I hear my inner voice it usually tells me to go to the refrigerator so so I'm I'm not sure what to make of that but uh, there may be some good wisdom there somewhere. Number three, love being alone. All right? Um, introspection and reflection arrive only when you're completely alone. Take a couple moments each day to allow yourself this alone time. You'll find you're much more aware of who you are and who you hope to be soon. The sense of being grounded will surely aid in finding contentment. Get some time alone. Number four, be present. But the advent of, I like this phrase, extreme technology. It is so easy to be distant from the present moment. Try to remain where you are, when you are, and at all possible times. If you don't milk the most of every single second, you're wasting away the precious memories you could be making by simply having your thoughts and emotions elsewhere. Be fully present so you can enjoy your current happiness before it passes. All right, number five. Do things that scare you. Okay, taking risks while frightening at first is definitely the way to success and happiness okay i'm scared to death of roller coaster rides i've ridden them and i'm never happy but let's keep going here if we never venture outside of our comfort zone we'll never know what it's like to vomit your lunch out no i'm kidding uh, we'll never know the things we're capable of too often we get sucked into the routines of complacency content with doing things that w- the way we know am afraid to try something that may be more efficient or satisfying That's a mistake push the boundaries of what's routine in your life and enjoy the happiness you'll gain as a result Now I finished the article and I sat there and I said okay in reading those five things uh, There may be some real merit to them and I'm not discouraging discouraging from doing some of those things But I got to be honest with you. I found myself wanting after reading that article These were the secrets to true happiness. And I'm not quite sure if I lived out those things. Listen, I could have all the alone time in the world, and I'm not sure because of the complications of my life that I would find happiness there. And I think the Bible seems to tell us that, if all due respect, Inc. magazine, I think there's a better recipe for happiness. The Bible tells us in Psalm 1, that happiness can be found, success can be found, satisfaction can be found. But the problem is, while there's merit to many of the things that we do to search out for happiness, many times as we live out our lives, we never are able to find true happiness, true success, and true satisfaction. And here's the reason why. We look for it in all the wrong places. French statesman Talleyrand put it this way, After 83 years of living one of the most important lives in all of France, this is what he says after his 83rd birthday. 83 years have passed away. What cares? What agitation? What anxiety? What ill will? What sad complications? This was a man who was so accomplished in all that he did, he, he changed a generation. And 83 years into his life, after doing great things for the generation he lived in, he found himself saying, there's really no significance, there's really no satisfaction, there's really no happiness, there's just more pain and sorrow. Fast forward uh, to uh, the 1960s. The great British philosopher Mick Jagger put it this way. He says, I can't get no satisfaction. Oh, I try and I try and I try, but I can't get no satisfaction. You know, these two individuals remind us of the human effort that we take in trying to find happiness, to try to find contentment, to try to find joy in a world that is marred by sin and disobedience. And the psalmist in the first uh, chapter Of his book of Psalms reminds us that true happiness can be found not only uh, in life but in every one of our relationships if we get one relationship down and that is our relationship with Jesus Christ you see if we get that one relationship down then we're on the pathway to finding happiness to finding joy to finding peace in a world of great chaos But how do we find that relationship? What must we do to make that relationship vibrant and healthy? We have four things in our text this morning. I will tell you three are going to be decent size and length. But I want you to know number four, man, we're going to whip right through that one. So stick with me. You'll be done by three. All right? So number one, the first thing that we need to do to have a right relationship with God and therefore a right relationship with others is we must be set apart from the world. Set apart from the world. Now, when I say set apart or separated, it, what I don't mean is that what we need to do is go get a house in Montana or Wyoming where we don't know our neighbors and can't even see our neighbors. We've bought so much property around us that we are off the grid. That's not what the Scriptures remind us to do. In fact, the Scripture tells us we're to be salt and light. We're to be in close proximity with the world, living very different lives, so that we may be seen as different in the world. And what the psalmist says is you need to be set apart. Notice what the passage says. It says, Blessed is the man who walks walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. Let's stop there for a moment. He begins by saying, Blessed is the man. Now that word blessed in the Hebrew literally means the word happy. Happy is the man. And so happy, if we want to pursue happiness, we've got a decision that needs to be made. And as if, if you will, there's a T in our road that we're either going to go to the left or the right. And if we want to be happy in our relationship with God, we need to make a decision that we're going to head His way and not our own. And notice what happens. The psalmist says you've got to determine, are you going to be set apart for God, or are you going to be set apart for yourself? Are you going to do it His way, or are you going to do it your way? Are you going to follow His Word, or are you going to follow the Word? A decision has to be made. Now, this isn't the first time this decision has been talked about. Joshua, who took over the leadership of the children of Israel from Moses... Articulated at the end of Joshua the book of Joshua this great decision that needed to be made choose this day whom you will serve You can choose the God of the Amorites and the Amalekites Or you can choose the God of our forefathers the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob You've got a choice to make and your choice will set you in a direction on a on a trajectory That will determine your steps now some of you will say right away. I did do that I made a decision a long time ago I bowed the knee, I accepted an invitation to come forward, I I gave my life to Jesus. But the Bible seems to say that this isn't a decision that we make once and for all and it's over and we never think about it again. It's a decision that the scriptures tell us needs to be made all the time. In fact, Jesus said, if you want to be one of my followers, then one must uh, come after me, must deny himself and carry his cross once in a while. No, 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 I'm sorry. He says, hey, if you want to follow after me, you should deny yourself and carry your cross at least once a month. No, 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 I'm sorry. That's not right either. If anyone wants to come after me, Jesus says, he must deny himself and carry his cross once a week during church. No, that's not right either. If you want to come after me, you must deny yourself and carry your cross. Help me out daily, daily. You see, every day, we need to make a decision. And this decision has to do with how we are going to relate to the world around us. And that decision is this. Will I encounter the world with God as my shepherd, with God as my guide, with the model of Jesus Christ living through me, with His Word advising me and calling me to the things I must do, or will I make a decision to live apart from God and do my own thing? And in that decision, we are going to find out what we're going to do. And every one of our decisions will be determined based on that facts. And so what will happen? Notice that if we don't make that decision, we find ourselves going down a slippery slope. Notice what the text says. You see a progression. Who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the uh, way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. Notice the progression. Walks, stands, sits. Notice we're in the council, the way, the seats. Notice it starts out with the wicked, then sinners, then scoffers. There's this picture or idea that when we make a decision to go away from God, we go down this slide where we find ourselves little by little, inch by inch... Getting farther and farther away from God and His Word. So how do we keep from doing that? Notice the psalmist says, first of all, by believing the right things. By believing the right things. We do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. In his paraphrase, the message, Eugene Peterson translates that verse in the following way. Blessed is the man who does not hang out at Sin Saloon. The idea here is we cannot buy into what the world is selling, what they're thinking. Now, What it means is we cannot be consumed by the fascination of what the world offers us. You see, we look at the world and we like the vibe. We like the atmosphere. We like what it's selling. Now, we know it's wrong, but our attention is continually being drawn to those things. Oh, we're wanting to hold the hand of Jesus, but all the while, we're looking around. I, I remember one of our visits to uh, Disney World as a family. I, I was holding Joshua's hand. I don't remember how old he was. But but he was a little guy, and I'm holding his hand. I don't want him to be lost uh, in the group of people. And so I said, hold my hand and let's, let's start walking. And more and more I'd feel like he became an anchor, like I was dragging him. And I would turn around and go, what's going on? And I would notice he wasn't even listening to me. His eyes were all over the place. He's looking at this and looking at that. He was enamored by all the things going on around him that he had no idea where we were going. You see, some of us are holding Jesus' hand that way. We're holding His hand, but we're like an anchor to Him because we're not looking at where He wants us to go. We're enamored by all the things of the world. We find ourselves suffering from spiritual ADD, putting our attention and focus where it shouldn't be. Now granted, we can pride ourselves that we're not sinning because we're not uh, taking and eating or participating in those things. But notice the subtle move that we move from being in the council of the wicked, believing the way the world does, to standing in the way of sinners. Notice it's behaving the right way. Peterson puts it this way, don't slink around dead-end road, he says. This is where we go from being a spectator to a participant. No longer are we just watching people engage in that and kind of being fascinated by it, wondering what it must be like to be a part of it. But now we want to just get a little taste. Not a big one, because we know it's wrong. We just want a little, just to see what it tastes like. If we can just get a little bit, then it will, uh, if you will, whet the appetite enough, and we won't need any more. Oh, we know it's wrong, but if we get just a little taste, a little taste on our lips, we'll see how truly sweet it is. You see, we're like the person who's on a diet, and they know that there's that... Beautiful chocolate cake in the refrigerator and you know that you're not supposed to eat it But you can just not get your mind off of that chocolate cake and so you say to yourself. Well, I'm hungry So what I'll do is I'll go to the refrigerator and I'll grab some celery sticks and some some carrots and As you're going to the vegetable drawer of the and I know you've been there. You can lie all you want I know you've been there you pull out the carrots and celery, but you see the chocolate cake sitting on the shelf Oh, it sure looks nice. And you begin to tell yourself, you know what? Just a little taste won't hurt. And you know what you do? We all do it, right? You sit there and say, you know what? I'm just going to take my pinky. I'm just going to, just 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 a little, just swipe the side. You know that icing that's not supposed to be there. You're just doing a, a public service to everybody. Just just wipe the, the side of the plate just to give yourself a taste. And so you do that. But then you're too big on your swipe and you leave this big finger mark in the cake, right? So then you're like, well, I can't leave it, so I'll take the slice that kind of was affected. So you pull the cake out and and you cut the slice and, and you begin to pull it out. And you know what happens? The other part of the cake caves in. You can't leave the cake like that. So you cut a little more, clean it up. You don't want to leave it. And before you know it, you got a plate of cake and crumbs all over your face. And you have fallen from your diet, from the plan that you had here's what sin does you think you can sit there and enjoy from afar what's going on and little by little you start dabbling a little bit and it's just a one-time thing and then it's a two-time thing and then it continues to go and before you know it you got crumbs all over your face from the sin in your life and you're like how did i get there little by little you found yourself behaving the wrong way you found yourself hanging around in the wrong atmosphere with the wrong types of people, and what it begins to do is it begins to erode away. Now, here's the thing. This dabbling usually is done in private. You don't want anybody to know because you know what you're doing is wrong. We know what we're doing is is against God's Word, and as a result of that, we want to keep it private, and so we don't let anybody know. And if anybody asks, we say, oh, no, I don't struggle with those types of things. But then as we allow it to continue to go, notice, he says, nor do we sit in the seat of scoffers. The idea here is now we're hanging out with people, hanging out with groups of individuals who mock others for following Jesus, for following God. Eugene Peterson says, blessed is the man who doesn't go off to smart off college. Here we throw caution to the wind. Instead of believing the right things and behaving the right way and belonging to the right groups of people, we now say it's not worth it. Sin is too much fun. It tastes too good. You know what? What's good is a diet. I'm just going to enjoy life, and I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to eat what I want because, man, my goodness, food tastes so good. And as a result of that, we throw caution to the wind, and we find ourselves living life contrary to God and His Word. And we don't care what people think. We don't care what people say. We don't care what God thinks or what God says. It feels too good. And here's why. Because now we sit because we've been under the counsel and gone the way and now find ourselves sitting and enjoying the company of others who are in disobedience with us. And here's what we do. We've bought into the lie that, well, I have these feelings. I have these desires. And God is the creator of my feelings and desires. So therefore, God's given me these feelings and desires so I should live them out. And I should enjoy them. And we talk others into it. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people go down this progression. And they've done so little by little. Now here's the thing. Many of us don't see ourselves going down this progression of sin, but others do. And that's why God calls us to be accountable accountable to one another. To live in accountability with one another. Because people will see the blind spots in your life better than you will. And we need others to call out those things in love and in grace and in mercy so we don't go down that path. Well, how do we do that? Notice the second point this morning. We must become satisfied with God's Word. Notice verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. How do we not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers? We delight in the law of the Lord, and we meditate on it day and and nights How do we stay on that straight and narrow it means focusing in on God and his word the psalmist reminds us of an important truth listen our Relationship with God will only go as far as our relationship We have with his word think about it this way you're a child and you are disobedient to every command that your parents give you How do you think your relationship with your parents are going to be not very good? Think about it this way. Tomorrow you go to work and everything your supervisor or your boss tells you to do, you say, you know what, take a hike. I'm not going to listen to what you say. I'm my own boss. How do you think your, re- your relationship with your boss is going to be? Not very good. Now let's take it to the spiritual realm. How do you think your relationship with God is going to be? Every time God tells us to do something, you say, you know what? Hey, God, I'm my own God. I'm my own master. I'm my own leader. I don't need you. You don't need to tell me what to do. How do you think your relationship with God is going to be? Not very well. And so the psalmist says, listen, you have got to have someone in your life telling you where to go, telling you what to do. And God has seen fit that he is the one who will tell human beings where to go. Yesterday I was uh, doing a catering event with my company on the north side of Chicago. And it told us it was going to take about an hour and 40 minutes to get there. I mean, this was way up on the north side. And then uh, we ran into all kinds of detours and all kinds of construction and accidents. And here's the thing. At times when I was driving there, I had no idea if I was heading north, south, east or west it twists and turns you name it but here's the thing I got exactly where I needed to be exactly on the right time and here's why on my smartphone I've got what is called GPS and GPS would tell me, in a hundred feet, turn this way. Hey, by the way, at this point in your journey, there's an accident. You may want to get away around that. There's construction happening here. And step by step, moment by moment, I had someone speaking to me, turn to your left, turn to your right, go this way, go that way. And when I followed its command, it would get me where I needed to. Here's the crazy thing. When I got off of the track, it would say, hey, moron, turn around. Turn around, and it would just keep saying, turn around, make a U-turn, make a U-turn, make a U-turn. And I would do that, and I ended up where I needed to be. The GPS for the Christian, God's positioning system, is His Word. And He advises us on where to go. You want happiness? You want joy? You want satisfaction? Then God's Word is our GPS. It tells us where to go, where we should turn, what we should do. Hey, be careful. There's an accident ahead of you. You may want to get around that. Hey, listen, temptation is right there. Be leery of that. Go another way. You see, we have to be focused in on what God's Word is teaching us. Why would we do that? Why would we invest such time and energy? Notice, we are to give full attention to it. Write that down, full attention. He meditates on it day and night. That word meditate is a gross picture. It's the picture literally of a cow chewing its cud. Have you ever watched a cow eat? Well, I have. And it's not a very pretty thing. You see, cows have four stomachs in their bodies. And those four stomachs cause them to have to chew their food down to mush, if you will. So you'll notice them chew, 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 chew. And then they do the absolute nastiest thing in the world. They swallow it. Happy good morning to you. And then they throw it up. Okay? I know some of you are married to a guy that eats like that. And they throw it up, not out. They don't projectile it out. But they chew it, they throw it back up, regurgitate it back into their mouth so they can chew on it some more. The idea is they're constantly chewing. Listen, a cow takes hours to eat all that he needs to in a day because it's a process. And the psalmist says, listen, this man or woman who finds happiness and and satisfaction in life is one who is constantly chewing on the Word of God and when they think that they've digested it listen they regurgitate it back up to chew on it a little more notice in the phrase it says they do so day and night it's an ongoing activity it's an ongoing activity that is filled that fills our day it's a regular occurrence notice the phrase day and night doesn't just mean all moments of time in your day but in all circumstances whether you like it or you don't, whether things are good or bad, all circumstances, all moments in time, we are feasting on the Word of God. Now, why would we do that? Why would we spend all that time and energy to it? Notice the phrase, he delights in the law. That phrase delights is only used three times in the Old Testament, here in the book of Psalms, and then two other times. In the two other occurrences, that phrase delight is used of a young man who has had his eye caught up, if you will, with a young lady who he falls in love with. And so this idea here is of two young people who absolutely fall head over heels for one another. Now for some of you, especially those who are my age, uh, we can look back and remember those glorious times of dating our loved ones before the kids came and took all our romance and joy, right? Right? And in those moments, and maybe you find yourself there now, young person, you can't get your that person out of your head. And when you're away from that person, you long to be with them. You count down the hours and moments and minutes that you'll be back with them. And then you're with them. And and you do the craziest things. Some of the weirdest stuff I ever did was when I was falling in love with Amanda. I would sing songs to her. I would read poems to her. I would find all these romantic things. Why? I just wanted her to know how absolutely infatuated and in love I was with her. So I would find creative times to have together. I wanted every moment that I was with her to be significant and special. This is what God says our relationship with the Word should be. We should long to be in the Word. We should uh, really be counting down the time we get to spend in the Word again. But sadly, listen, sadly, instead of chewing on it day and night and meditating on it, we look at Sunday morning as a time we pop a pill. We take it in. And then we don't look at the Word for the rest of the week. Sadly, listen, sadly, some of you this morning call yourselves Christians and the last time you opened God's Word was the last time Pastor Steve last week said, open your Bibles. And you haven't thought about it for a moment since. The Bible says we are to delight in it. That we should look forward to it. That we should see it as an opportunity to read God's love letter to us and enjoy the good that comes from it. Just enjoying what it has to say and being changed and transformed by it. But like an old married couple that has a set date night, we look at Sunday mornings as a time where we say, you got 90 minutes, Pastor. You better wow me. Better knock my socks off. I'm not sure why I'm here. I'm not sure I've got a million other things I can be doing. My attention isn't with you. My affection isn't on the Word. But but if you do really, really good job, maybe you'll get a flutter out of my heart. How we miss it. Again, reminded that our relationship with God will only go as far as our relationship with His Word. So what is your relationship with the Word this morning? Does it have your attention? Does it have your affection? Or is it simply a duty that you live along with because you're told to? I will tell you, if that's how you're trying to win that young lady or that young man, You'll never do it. Think about it. That young person comes to your door that wants to go on a date with you and you go, oh, you're here again? All right, I guess I'll go. i got nothing better going on. You think they're going to want to date you? Probably not. So it is with God and His Word. We can't do it out of a duty, but a deep desire. Well, what happens when we do? Notice the psalmist goes on. He says, when we do these things, we have the right attention, the right affection. We will become like a tree planted by streams of water it yield its fruit in its season, and all that he does, he will prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Let's stop there. Notice that when we do these things, we'll be supplied by the right waters. I wonder if the psalmist finds himself sitting and looking around his surroundings. And he sees this tree. Maybe he's sitting under this tree. And he says, my relationship with God has to be like this tree. It's flourishing. It's vital. It's full of all kinds of fruit and all kinds of beautiful leaves. It is a picture of great health. And notice he says, that's what I want my relationship to be like with God. A relationship that's like a tree planted. Well, how do we know if we have that kind of relationship? The psalmist tells us, look, write these things down. Number one, look at the position. He's like a tree planted next to the streams of water. The tree is deeply connected to that which feeds it. It's there in the vicinity. Growing up, uh, there was a creek by my parents' house where we would go and we would play. And that creek was, or I'm sorry, that tree was a beautiful tree, probably one of the largest and tallest trees in the entire area. And the thing that I loved about it, not only did we play in its branches and, and interact, we would, we would jump from the branches into the creek, into its water, was that you could see half of the trees roots literally were in the water and it was like they were straws drawing out the water for its own good it couldn't do that if it was a mile away from the tree so it found itself nestled next to the water that it had all that it needed because it was abiding if you it was connected to the creek as kids we used to play a game we'd call it base tag and it was tag where you had a home base and as long as you were connected to the home base you wouldn't get out. But you would venture away from home base and it would get kind of boring if you only went a couple feet from the base. So as you would get farther and farther away, the excitement would grow. How far can I get away from home base without the guy tagging me and being out? Some of us right now, instead of planting ourselves next to the stream of God, are playing this game, how far can I get away from God but not get tagged? And it's exhilarating. How much sin can I live away from God before I'm disqualified and called out of the game? The tree was planted and positioned next to the waters because it knew without those waters it would fail. Notice number two, its permanence. It was planted. The idea here is that it was deeply rooted. It gives the impression that there was nothing that can move it. No matter how big the storms were, no matter how crazy the winds were, nothing could shake it. It was immovable. It was firmly rooted. For the Christian, this is a reality that we must have. When we are supplied by the waters of God and His Word, we will be firmly planted. We will be deeply Rooted and it will tell when the storms of life come I've shared this with you numerous times, but I married out of my league My wife that's always a good. Amen there You know I knew that and I've known that for a long time, but I I was reminded of that truth about a year ago when I watched my wife go through some real difficult struggles 39 years of age living life with three children, everything going well, and then going to the doctor and being surprised with a cancer diagnosis. My wife could have said, you know what, I serve God, I honor God, and I'll tell you, my wife is one who loves God to the fullest. This is not a job to her. She really believes and loves the Lord with all her heart. And then she gets the cancer diagnosis, and this is what the doctor said. You've got cancer. We're going to have to do radical things to get rid of it. And there's no guarantee that we'll get all of it and it could consume your life. Now in that moment, my wife could have said, you know what, I've served God, I've honored Him, I've done everything I was supposed to do, and this is what I get, God? This is what you give your followers, this is what you give your people? I'm 39 years old, I want to live a long life, I want to see my kids grow up, and this is what you give? Never did I see a man to shake her finger at God, never did I see her shake her fist at God, never did I hear her say one negative thing towards God. In fact, like Job, my wife said, God, whether you give or take away, I'm going to praise the name of Jesus. And here's the amazing thing. Amanda is not an anomaly. I've been the pastor here for 12 years, and I've watched you people go through incredible trials and tribulations. Crazy things have happened. You've been faithful to God, and God has allowed difficult circumstances in your life to take place. Some of you have watched your spouses shrivel up and die to disease. You didn't shake your fist at God. Some of you have watched your wealth go from something of great value to nothing. Some of you have watched your children and all the hopes and desires that your kids would grow up in a way that would honor God, and they've walked away from the faith with no hope of it turning around. And instead of getting angry with God, you've dug deeper. You've gotten closer to Jesus. And God says, listen, God makes it clear that our faith, you want to write something down, you want to put something on your, on your mantle over your fireplace in your house. We never write these things down, by the way. But here's a great line that I wrote down. Our faith can never be measured in times of triumph, but only in tragedy. You want to know if you're walking close with God, how do you do when your day doesn't go the way you want it to? How does it go when it throws your life into a whirl? I knew my parents had a close walk with God, but when they saw their lifeless firstborn's body in a morgue, I knew it was for real. Because in tragedies is the determining factor on whether we truly are deeply rooted in God and His Word. How permanent are we in this relationship? Number three, are we productive? Notice it yields its fruit in season. The psalmist says it makes it makes what it's been created to make. It produces what it's been called to produce. How do you know an apple tree is an apple tree if it doesn't produce apples? How do you know a fig tree is a fig tree if it doesn't produce figs? How does a Christian know they're a Christian unless they're producing Christian fruits? It can't and it won't. Well, what is the fruit? What is this fruit that it gives off in season? Uh, Notice, fruit is something that the tree gives that it does not need. So it produces something that is to be given away. You're going to go this October at some point to an apple farm, right? We do that a lot. And we go and we pick off one of the apples off of the tree and never has the tree said, hey, I need that. You can't take that. No, it freely gives it. It says you can take the apple from my branches and I won't shrivel up and die. So take freely, take all of my apples, I'll be here next year, come back, right? So it should be of the Christian. The Christian gives and gives and gives. It doesn't say, hey, that's mine, I'm keeping that for myself. No, it freely gives and it gives a welcome sign to come back. Why? Because that is the production of fruit that we as Christians in a right and healthy relationship will produce productivity a couple more very quickly the perseverance its leave does not wither again very similar to the permanence in good times and bad in times of rain and drought hot and cold it is not easily affected by its elements a vibrant and healthy relationship with God and with his son Jesus Christ does not do this based on the good times and the bad well I love Jesus and then I hate Jesus I'm with Jesus and now I'm not with Jesus It perseveres in the good times and the bad. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to stick with God. I'm going to hold true to God no matter what comes my way. What will happen when we do that? Notice the Scripture says, in everything it does, it prospers. Now, there's a lot of teachers who will tell you that if we live this way, we'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But that's not the case. The psalmist makes it clear that that what it means is that we will literally be perfectly positioned for all contingencies. So what it means is, we will have the answer, we will have the understanding, we will have the needed resources that we need to endure the hardship that comes our way. So whatever comes our way, we'll have exactly what we need. Because we're exactly positioned near the streams of God's glorious waters. So whether it's good times or bad, we will respond in a way that's becoming of a person of faith. Now, it's hard to live that way. But the faith that God calls us to is to open-hand living. To be open-handed and say, Lord, wherever you go, whatever you lead me to, whatever you call me to, whatever you call me to sacrifice, I'm willing to do knowing that whatever I need in the future, you will provide. Not want, by the way. Let's remember that. Not what I want in the future, you'll provide. Whatever I need in the future, you will provide. Let us never forget that in order to find this type of living, demands that we get close to Jesus. Jesus told His disciples, and it's a reminder for us today, apart from Me, you will do nothing. And some of us are trying to live our life apart from Christ this morning, instead of walking hand in hand with Him. How's your relationship with God and His Word? Every other relationship will rise and fall based on that. Remember, there's a T in the road, and the T reminds us that finally, we need to be submissive to His warnings. The psalmist kind of ends on a tough note, a serious note. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We're at a T in the road. You have to make a decision. Will you deepen your walk with God, or will you desert Him? Will you follow His will and His way and His word, or will you go the way of the world? The decision is before you. But notice the decision has consequences. If you go the way of the Lord, the Lord knows you. He knows the way of the righteous. He's intimately involved in that. And so He says, listen, if you go My way, if you follow My Word, I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. And when eternity comes, I'm going to usher you into a place of glorious riches and glorious joys and glorious peace in a place called heaven. But if you go the other way, not so with the wicked. You will go the way where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You will go the way of not everlasting life, but a place where you will perish, in a place called hell. What's your decision this morning? How important is your relationship with God Not only does it impact your temporal relationships here on earth, but it will one day determine your eternal relationship with God. Will you experience a life everlasting? Or a life completely forsaken by the God of the universe? In complete separation from Him and all His goodness. The decision is yours. Choose wisely. Choose the right way. Choose the way that brings forth God's blessing and not His displeasure and punishment. Let's pray. Father God, we come before You and we thank You for Your Word and I thank You for Your people and their diligence in hearing this Word. And I pray, Lord, that we will do some work this today. We'll do so asking ourselves some real tough questions about our relationship with You. That we would recognize this morning that as we dig deeper in our relationship with you, as we love you more deeply and more sincerely, as we invest more time with you in your Word, that because of that, we will be able to relate with others, whether strangers or our spouses, in better ways. Because you will teach us about ourselves. You will teach us about our sin. You will teach us about our selfishness. And You will show us Your Son, Jesus Christ, and how He sacrificed, how He gave, how He spent His time, how He served others. Lord, I pray that we would model our lives after Your Son. That we'd remember how He won us back, how He relates to us. Fill us with Your Spirit so that we can accomplish that impossible task. We know that apart from you it's impossible, but with you all things are possible. So Lord, we pray for your glory and for our good, that that would be a reality in our lives. So send us forth now, Lord, digging deeper into our relationship with you so that we may dig deeply into our relationship with others and be a blessing to all. Now send us forth in fellowship, Lord, as we leave this place and as we live our lives. And we ask that you'd bring us back together again. So let me hear from Your Word and praise You for all the things that You are worthy of praise. We love You and give You the glory for everything done in this service. In Christ's name, and all God's people said, Amen.